Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you hear well done from the lips of the master after running the race he has marked out for you. Tennis superstar Venus Williams won seven Grand Slam singles titles, five Wimbledon championships, and four Olympic gold medals. Her sister Serena won 23 Grand Slam singles titles, seven Wimbledon championships, and four Olympic gold medals. These two sisters becoming two of the greatest athletes of all time did not happen by accident. It was the result of their father, Richard Williams, executing his plan for his daughters to become tennis royals, which he had formulated before they were even born. King Richard is the movie that tells the story of the leadership of a father relentlessly committed to helping his daughters reach their potential, becoming eventually tennis phenoms. I know of no claim by Richard Williams to be a Christian, yet his remarkable devotion to helping these daughters reach their God-created potential in the athletic world stands as a powerful challenge to every Christ-following man who is the leader of his home. Am I that devoted to equipping those under my care to reach their full potential in Christ? Thanks for joining us today for Season 5, Episode Number 4 of Mission-Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. This is the final episode in our January series, Leading Our Homes Well in a Culture That Doesn't Want Us to Lead. We've addressed the first two leadership questions, where am I taking my family, and how do I motivate my followers to come with me? This episode answers the third question, how are we going to get there? The leader equips his followers to reach the goal. Richard Williams could see his daughter's potential as superstar tennis players and provided the knowledge, training, coaching, encouragement, and opportunities they needed to reach that potential. Biblical leadership requires a relentless commitment to helping those under our care to be champions reaching the full potential God designed into them, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and athletically. There is no greater treasure loaned to you by God to be cherished and whose potential for radiant inner loveliness you are to bring out than your wife. If you are a dad, you have been entrusted by God with the greatest of all treasures, a priceless child on loan from God for the purpose of helping that child be all that God created him or her to be. The rest of this episode examines how we do that. Remembering that the goal and destination of our leadership at home is spiritual maturity as Christ's disciples— It makes sense that Christ's leadership of his family, the church, would serve as a model for us. In fact, God went to great trouble to enable us to understand three specific roles that Jesus fills that enable us to grow up to spiritual maturity. These three roles, called the three offices of Christ, are directly related to the Hebrew word Messiah and the Greek word Christos, which both mean anointed one. 
the three offices in the Old Testament to which men were anointed were prophet, priest, and king. The early chapters of Hebrews make clear that those three offices in the Old Testament were pointing to and fulfilled in Christ. Each of these roles of Jesus as head of his family, the church, gives us specific concepts to understand what knowledge, equipping, training, and encouragement we need to provide our family members to help them grow up into Christ. So first, the role of prophet. The Old Testament prophet was the mouthpiece of God. We read in Hebrews 1.1, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus is the Word of God incarnate. As we consider the means God has appointed for growing Christ followers to full maturity, we discover that God's Word is the ultimate equipping tool. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. Here is a four-step process in Deuteronomy 6 for maximizing the impact when we teach kids the Word of God. Beginning with Deuteronomy 6, 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Teaching Scripture to our kids begins in our hearts with wanting to obey His Word because we love Him and want to please the One who redeemed us, not because we think God is a rule-obsessed tyrant or that we need to earn His love. The Ten Commandments were given to Israel after they had been freed from slavery to Egypt to show us how to respond to his redemptive love already poured out upon us. Out of delight and confidence in his goodness proved at the cross, we trust that his law is for our benefit. Counselors Cloud and Townsend point out, when we finally understand that God isn't mad at us anymore, we become free to concentrate on love and growth instead of trying to appease Him. The teaching process continues, Deuteronomy 6.6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. There is a natural flow from loving God with all our being to having His word on our hearts so we can obey it. In this text, God is saying what Jesus would later repeat in John 14, 6, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Devotion to obeying Scripture is not legalism. It is the proper expression of love for the God who first loved us. Jesus taught that the mark of kingdom people is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The third step, Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. You shall teach these words diligently to your children. The Hebrew word for teach is the word used for imprinting the official seal upon a letter. It pictures rote memorization. Especially from ages 4 through 12, we have an unprecedented opportunity to anchor our child to God's truth 
through memorizing scripture verses and catechism questions. A three-part plan is usually required to accomplish this. First, decide with your wife on a meal or a time block each week when you will do this. Second, make these times creative and fun while staying focused on the memorization. And third, decide which foundational truths you want to plant into your child's soul. My personal favorite starting point for kids' memorization is Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. I also recommend the New City Catechism for Kids. This is a great resource. It's a curriculum for parents to use to teach the biblical ideas surrounding each of those questions, making family memorization times easy to lead. That's New City Catechism for Kids. Here's a sample of a couple of the early questions. What is our only hope? in life or death, that we are not our own, but belong to God. How did God create us? God created us male and female in his own image to glorify him. How can we glorify God? By loving him and obeying his commands and law. Helping your child memorize foundational biblical truths and key passages of Scripture is indisputably one of the best investments in your child's soul that you could ever make. So the third step of teaching Scripture for life impact is the hard work of impressing it upon the brain, memorizing it. Step four, as Deuteronomy 6 continues, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. The reason for having the law on our hearts is so that we can meditate on it during the day and so we can teach it to our children all through the day, applying it to everyday life. Arguably, the most successful believer of the Old Testament era was counseled by God This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Joshua defeated the most enemies in Israel's history and his family leadership influence caused four generations to walk with God. Equipping our kids to be all God created them to be requires doing the prophet's job, getting God's word into their lives, applying its wisdom for everyday life. Role number two of Jesus, which is a pattern for spiritual leadership, is his role as priest. Hebrews 5.1 explains the priestly role of the Old Testament that was a pattern pointing to Christ. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. This rich image of Christ as our great high priest points to three components of our leadership role in helping our wives and kids reach their full potential in Christ. First, our great high priest sacrificed himself for us. In Ephesians 5.2, Paul commands, Walk in love 
as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Godly manhood has always meant that we sacrifice for the welfare of our loved ones. We take the bullet and die so they may live. The problem is that men are better at the heroic than the mundane, dying to ourselves every day to put the needs of my wife and kids ahead of my own desires. Our delight in our wives and kids takes us a ways towards denying ourselves for them, but feelings don't have the power to overcome selfishness for long. To love with Jesus' love is only possible by leaning upon Christ who indwells us through the Holy Spirit to produce agape, self-sacrificing love. When our feelings dissipate, the raw power to put others first comes from saying to Jesus, I need you to love them through me because I can't. The second characteristic of our great high priest, he gives us mercy when we draw near. The author to the Hebrews encourages us all. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of needs. This Greek word, mercy, alias, refers to compassion for the one suffering because of his sin. When giving painful consequences for wrong behavior as fathers, two seemingly contradictory attitudes are required. Firmness, whom the Lord loves he disciplines, and compassion. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Psalm 103.14. Let's consider what this might look like in a parenting conversation with a son who did not get his chores done on time. I know that you were looking forward to going to the park this afternoon with Billy's family, but the deal was that you had to have your room cleaned before then. But Dad, I've been looking forward to this all month. Son, I know it sucks to miss out on being with your friends because you put off tackling the pile of work you had to get done. Believe it or not, that happens to me sometimes. I missed going skeet shooting a couple of months ago with Jim and Pete because I put off replacing the kitchen light fixture until the Saturday morning that your mom was having a bridal shower. Then I had to get it done. Well, since you know what it feels like so well, let me go. What I know is that painful consequences teach life lessons. The answer is no. Firmness, but also mercy. The third characteristic of our great high priest to pattern our lives after as leaders is that he intercedes for us. Hebrews 7.25 tells us that Jesus' vocation right now is praying for us. Quote, unquote, he ever lives to intercede for us. In Paul's Romans 8 text, demonstrating that God is for us, he argues that Christ died for us, rose for us, ascended for us, and is interceding for us. Even when our great high priest was on earth, he interceded for those under his care in prayer. In Hebrews 5.7, we read, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Jesus' words to Peter on one occasion are sobering for fathers. 
Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. One of the great tragedies of our day is that fathers and grandfathers don't realize how much power they can access in prayer to help their children fight their spiritual battles. One prayer veteran reminds us, God wants your prayer life to be filled with petitions and intercession for others and for the advance of his kingdom. He wants answers to such prayer to become your thrilling and frequent experience. One of the great joys of prayer is securing wonderful answers that seem so long delayed and so humanly impossible. God wants answers to your prayers to be frequent and blessed. He wants you to prove repeatedly the mighty power of prayer in your own experience. He wants you to become not only a prayer veteran, but also a constant victor in situations where the answers bring great glory to God and great consternation and defeat to Satan. Only in eternity will kids see the impact that their interceding fathers had on their destiny. But one son who ended up on the mission field in the South Pacific, John Patton, recounted the striking impact of his dad's prayer life upon him. Patton's father, James, worked in a shop in the family home in Scotland. James used a small room in the house as a prayer closet. His regular visits during the day and after meals led the kids, quote, to understand that prayers were being poured out for us. On the day that John left home to study theology, he had to walk 40 miles to a train station. His father walked the first six with him. They spoke about the Lord and his father gave counsel. For the last half mile, they walked in silence, but John could see his father's lips moving in silent prayer for him while tears streamed down his face. When they parted, the father grasped his son, saying, God bless you, my son. May your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Overcome, he could say no more, but his lips moved in silent prayer. John later wrote that as he walked the remainder of the distance, he vowed deeply and often by the help of God to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as God had given him. Christ's third office that models spiritual leadership for us is his role as king. Hebrews 1 continues the story of the anointed one. We read, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Of the Son, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Jesus rescued Adam's kingdom from Satan and sin and is now spreading his kingdom of righteousness. But such conquest is only accomplished through community. Paul points out, when Christ ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. As prophet, the leader equips through the word. 
As priest, the leader equips through the power of intercessory prayer. As king, the leader helps his followers discover, hone, and employ their gifts and opportunities for ministry. Here are four ways to maximize their kingdom impact. Number one, help them discover their unique design and spiritual gifts. In the discipleship process laid out by Paul in Romans 12, steps one through three are responding to God's mercy, offering ourselves to God, and being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Step four is focusing on our spiritual gifts. Looking back, I think one of the best things that I managed to do as a father was to help each of my five kids determine their shape, a concept stolen from Rick Warren. That is, their spiritual gifts, heart passions, abilities, personality, and experiences that make them unique. By the way, my podcast series, Helping Our Loved Ones Flourish Using Their Spiritual Gifts from Season 2, gives more, episodes 38 through 41, July 18th through August 8th. The second way to help them maximize their kingdom impact is to help them link their skills and interest to a vocation. We need to reassure our kids that they are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. Today, kids don't just follow the family profession. The mobility and diverse vocational opportunities they have require our help, matching the way God created them to a career. A great resource we have used is by Crown Ministries, entitled The Youth Exploratory Survey. The third way to help kids have kingdom impact is to help them connect to Christian friends. As we saw, Jesus' ascension was accompanied by the outpouring of the gifts of the Spirit, pointing to our need to be connected in the body of Christ. We, dads and husbands, need to do whatever is necessary for our wives to have sisterhood relationships and our kids to have Christian friends. The fourth way to help them maximize their kingdom impact is to help them develop the skills they need for ministry. Parents and the dollars of grandparents send their kids to summer sports, art, and music camps. We ought to also think strategically about developing our kids' ministry vision and skills. My wife and brother were trained in discipleship via the Navigator's summer program. Short-term missions trips are often life-changing. I know dads that have taken their kids through books to develop listening, leadership, evangelism, and apologetics skills. And in today's world, our kids need training to understand the world's worldviews and how they differ from the Christian faith, which can be provided them through online resources like the Colson Center. Dads and granddads, like Venus and Serena's dad, Richard, we have been loaned a precious diamond to be cut and polished into its greatest possible brilliance. But the time we have with each child flies by in a flash. Even the opportunity to influence our grandchildren is fleeting. They will soon be busy with teen friends and adult life. One dad reflects, I pass a lot of houses on my way home, some pretty, some expensive, some inviting. But my heart always skips a beat when I turn down the road and see my house. I guess I'm especially proud of the house and the way it looks because I drew the plans myself. It started out large enough for us. I even had a study. Two teenage boys now reside there. 
And it had a guest room. My girls and nine dolls are permanent guests. It had a small room Peg had hoped would be her sewing room. The two boys swinging on the Dutch door have claimed this room as their own. So it really doesn't look right now as if I'm much of an architect. But it will get larger again. One by one, they will go away to work, to college, to service, to their own houses. And then there will be room, a guest room, a study, and a sewing room for just the two of us. But it won't be empty. Every corner, every room, every nick in the coffee table will be crowded with memories. Memories of picnics, parties, Christmases, bedside visuals, summers, fires, winters, going barefoot, leaving for vacation, cats, conversations, black eyes, graduations, first dates, ball games, arguments, washing dishes, bicycles, dogs, boat rides, getting home from vacation, meals, rabbits, and a thousand other things that still fill the lives of those who would raise five. And Peg and I will sit quietly by the fire and listen to the laughter in the walls. To summarize this episode, we concluded our January series, Leading Our Homes Well in a Culture That Doesn't Want Us to Lead, by answering the third leadership question, how will I equip my followers to reach their destination, maturity in Christ? Just as Richard Williams was relentlessly committed to teaching, training, coaching, and finding opportunities for his daughters to reach their potential as tennis phenoms, the leadership responsibility of our homes requires us to exercise that same devotion to our wives and kids to help them be champions who fully develop the potential that God built into them. As a paradigm for this equipping and empowering process, we took the example of Jesus who empowers us to grow up into Christ as his followers through functioning in his roles as prophet, priest, and king. The prophet is the mouthpiece of God, which underscores our role in teaching the word of God to our kids. We observe that the process to maximize the impact of this teaching begins with our own love for God and His Word, which then leads to structured memorization of it and naturally applying it all through the day. As priests, we must claim Christ's power in us to overcome our selfishness, denying ourselves when we are tired of it for the sake of our loved ones. We also noticed that the most direct application of this priestly role to fathers and husbands is devoting ourselves to giving our wives and kids spiritual power to become Christ-like and defeat temptation through our fervent, regular intercession for them. In Christ's third office, King, he calls his people to seek first the spread of his kingdom of righteousness over every sphere of earth. He calls them to be salt and light in their vocational calling, having created them for specific good works before the creation of the world. King Jesus pours out spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ, implying the imperative of helping our followers understand theirs and stay connected to the body of Christ. Finally, we are reminded of the awesome blessing of having children in our homes and how quickly that blessing flies away with time, taking with it the most optimum time to help prepare our kids for life. 
For further prayerful thought, number one, how might you become and remain as passionate about developing the potential of each of your family members as Richard Williams was about developing Venus and Serena's tennis abilities? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. Next week, we begin a new series, Helping Men Better Love Their Wives by Understanding the Needs of Their Hearts. Christian men will take a bullet for their wives. They are willing to sacrifice and provide for their physical needs. What is so frustrating is that we don't know what the needs of their hearts are. This series looks to Scripture for clues. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. Podcast.